and welcome to episode number 49 of the Lions Podcast. My name is Matt Brown, joined each and every week by Brett Colson, running down all of the interesting news and notes happening within the sports betting DFS and maybe a little bit of poker industry here. Brett, we have a very special guest on the uh, episode this week, Chris Grove, the Managing Director of Sports and Emerging Verticals at Eilers and Krychik Gaming. That is a uh, very, very important entity in the space, puts out all sorts of research information, just put out a report on the different personalities, personas of the of the typical sports better. So very much looking forward to having Chris on the podcast. Yeah, and Chris has been doing this for a long time and uh, pretty smart guy. So uh, looking forward to, to seeing what he has to say about that. Yeah, we'll talk about that and we'll just ask him some other stuff about the industry as well. Nobody has been following this stuff for longer than Chris has. So very, very, very happy to have him on the podcast please subscribe rate and review if you have not done so already you can follow us on the twitter machine at the lines us at play picks us and of course if you want to follow me and brett at brett colson at matt brown m2 all right it has been wrapped up now march madness the bow has been put on march madness we have a champion it was virginia i was very happy about that i had that 750 dollars eight to one futures ticket that was super fun to go and walk up to the window and cash per William Hill. They were getting some big time action on Virginia leading into that game. They took a $275,000 bet that would have won $250,000 on that game. There was some $60,000 bets coming in on Texas Tech, another $165,000 bet over at MGM on Virginia. Uh, Brett, this was a this was a very interesting tournament for you and I because this is the first time we kind of got some insight into how these big bets are being made where they're being made what's going on over in New Jersey and, and different things like that this was now with with the, with the repeal of PASPA we are getting a much more uh, behind the curtain if you will look at what's going on at these sports books yeah it's exciting because this is only the beginning you know we're seeing all these big bets come in but I like to see where all, all the public action comes in as well because that really shapes uh, where my bets are, are ultimately going to go as well so I mean it, it, and the operators have been very uh, they've been very open and it, offering a lot of this information to us so we're able to to put it out and, and kind of see where people are leaning and on all these games and it was really it was one of the better tournaments I've seen in a while too once we got all the chalk out of the way I mean the, the first the first weekend really wasn't exciting at all but uh, the cream I thought really did rise to the top a lot of good basketball there at the end and people were. People were into it, even though Duke w- was knocked out there in the Elite Eight. We still had some really good teams in the Final Four and uh, some really good games, and uh, a lot of a lot of handle came in from that. Overall, for the tournament, underdogs went thirty-five and twenty-eight against the spread. That was good for nearly fifty-six percent. So, if you were a dog better, you probably came out of the tournament feeling pretty good. If you were betting totals, uh, you probably didn't. You probably didn't love it too much. Thirty-one, thirty, and two. So. Uh, Nothing really to make any money on there. Brett Westgate did come out with their openers for next season. Going to be a bunch of familiar names here. Kentucky 7-1, Virginia 7-1, Duke 8-1, Michigan State 8-1. Once we get into kind of the double digits here, you'll see that followed by Michigan, North Carolina, Villanova, Gonzaga, Arizona, Kansas, Louisville, Oregon, Mississippi State on the list here at 30-1, Tennessee 30-1, Auburn 30 to 1 Texas Tech as you know 
uh, made their deep run here, thirty to one, and then Texas at forty to one. Those come well, you, out to be. You follow the SEC. Why is Mississippi State in there with Tennessee and Auburn? They, I can only assume there must they must have a good recruiting class come in. Uh, they, they must or they've just got yeah, or they've got some underclassmen that are they're sticking around. Yeah, I, I can only assume they must have signed one or two kind of high profile guys or something like that for them to get up into in, into this list with all of these you know we, year in year out powerhouses in college basketball but again I mean as we go as we head into the season it's going to be more of the same I mean all the five-star kids sign with Kentucky or Virginia or Duke or Michigan State or, or, or North Carolina it's just the way that it goes each and every year so uh, I know you like to see chaos I know you were enjoying the fact that you know Duke got knocked out I know that was a, a big win for you because you are the the ultimate contrarian when it comes to things like that but uh, you know, I'm as we sit here and look at this, Brett, it's it's Kentucky, it's Virginia, it's Duke, it's Michigan State. They're all going to be back again next year. Well, yeah, and Duke is interesting because you've got three guys who are going to go in the top 10 in the draft. So kind of reloading. I haven't looked at the draft class for next year. Obviously, I'm assuming it's it's great, but it can't compare to what they had this year. I know the, the point guard there, Jones, is going to be sticking around. But um, yeah, Duke at eight to one. That feels that feels high to me. But it is Duke, so we'll yeah, see. Yeah, it is. It is interesting whenever you look at these odds and they immediately come out and you're like, man, there are, you know, 300 Division One basketball teams, and here are a couple of teams sitting at seven to one and one team sitting at eight to one to take the, the whole thing down this early. Pretty crazy. Now, one of the other things that we talked about on last week's podcast, it was the Masters. It's the only holy, thing we talked about, really. Holy mackerel, Brett, the Masters, man. Uh, I was very, very, I was very happy with the way that the Masters handled things as well. There was going to be some weather that was coming into town. On Sunday afternoon, I have friends that live down in that area. It had made its way through the south uh, earlier that day, and it definitely was some, some pretty terrible weather. They made the decision to move all the tee times up and actually to go off at the same time on the front and back so that they were able to fit the thing in on Sunday and not have to carry over to Monday. Before we get into how things actually went down, uh, how do you think that that decision, you know, played overall in the grand scheme of things? I know the diehards, like, I mean, I know I was into it, even though the fact that I had to wake up at 5.45 in the morning to get down there so I could watch golf at 6 a.m., a little bit better for you over on the East Coast where you have three more hours as a buffer. But what do you think of that decision? Oh, they nailed it. I thought that was I thought it was an obvious decision that they had to do because they they could have run into some problems there uh, later on Sunday. Um, I thought it was handled perfectly. And man, I I love the early morning golf. I I, I want to know how the players felt about that. And and I mean it was it was certainly earlier than they're used to, but to, it was so nice to just have our day of watching golf wrapped up. So it was it was like noon when it wrapped up for you guys, right? On the West Coast? Oh yeah, it was wonderful. It was it was one of the best sports days of recent memory for me and maybe even ever and it was and I still had I still had the whole rest of the day. Like at 11:45 a.m., I'd already had one of the better sports days there was. It was it was pretty crazy. Yeah, I would love I would love some more of that. Yeah, 6 a.m. golf for me, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Maybe 7 a.m. will be a little bit better, but even 6 a.m., yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in with that. Of course, guys, unless you're living under a rock, you know Tiger Woods took down 
the Masters. We talked about it on this very podcast. A better at William Hill Sportsbook put down $85,000 on Tiger Woods at 14 to 1. That paid out $1.19 million coming from William Hill here. It's great to see Tiger back. That's Nick Bogdanovich, who's the director of trading there at U.S. He said, it's a painful day for William Hill. Our biggest golf loss ever, but a great day for golf. Now, this story has taken a turn here, Brett. This was... Uh, Something there where we were, we were like, man, eighty-five thousand dollars on a on a on an outright future for golf. That's you know you don't hear about too many of those. A lot of guys will like to spread their action out a little bit more. And then the story starts to unravel that this guy is claiming it's his first bet he's ever made. The guy doesn't live here; he lives in Wisconsin. It just seems there's more to this story that we're going to end up finding out um, even even over the next week or so. Yeah, people like us who have worked in, the, in gambling for years, we sniffed this out right away. Nothing about his story made sense. The guy flew out for one day to place a bet on Tiger Woods on an epiphany. And the whole the whole story about how he got the money to the book was far-fetched. I mean, and if, if it is true... He's an idiot. I mean, th- this should really be told as a cautionary tale. Like, we don't know all the details of what happened, but simply based on what he said during the media circus that this became with the check presentation and all that, it all looked fishy. And over the course of those interviews later on, his story did unravel a bit. You know, Brad, and here's the thing with all of this. You know, we're sitting here in 2019, and as we found out with this guy, he's got a checkered past, nefarious things have gone on in his life, and people are, I, there were some people who came out and started rushing to his defense a little bit with all of this, but we are sitting here in 2019, and this is nothing new. You don't have to be a celebrity. You don't have to be a pro athlete. I mean, once you put yourself out there, people are going to start to look a little bit deeper into what's going on with you. And so some people are starting to question whether this guy actually even made this bet for himself or not. Maybe he's a runner. Maybe he was making this bet for some other whale better that maybe got banned somewhere. Or maybe he's doing it for someone who can't bet for other reasons because maybe the guy... You know, is is maybe he's doing it for someone that's, you know, a criminal. You know, there's been all kinds of theories floated out there as to what's actually going on with this. And really and truly, um, you know, if he had just cashed the thing and went back home and not tried to to do the PR rounds and all that, um, you know, none of this stuff would have would have would have come out, you know. So I don't know. It's it's hard for me to feel sorry for the guy because it seemed like he was looking for the celebrity aspect of it. And once you go that once you go that route, you got to know that people are going to do some digging. Well, yeah, and we we did do some digging. I mean, we, we were trying to get to the bottom of what this guy's story actually is, not whether he's a criminal or any of the, like all that stuff. It's, it doesn't matter to me unless it's a character thing. And this guy is working with some people who he shouldn't be working with. He maybe he is running, uh, maybe he is a runner for a person who who can't place a bet in Nevada for whatever reason. We don't know that. It's all speculation at this point. But we were digging, uh, and because the story he told was way too far fetched. He overshared. To be real. He the problem was he overshared, and right. that's what like trying to say that you take a shared lift. He, like you have eighty five thousand dollars in cash on you, and you can't just get your own personal lift. And then and then going with the it's the first time I've ever placed a bet of any kind in my life. I mean, like you don't you don't your first bet is never eighty five thousand dollars on a golf outright. You know, I mean, just it's just not. This is just not how life works, you know. 
know? Yeah, so, and then he tells the story about how he was twenty five thousand dollars in debt. I mean, why why are you sharing all this? Yeah, it just so so much of the stuff. So again, we will if anything further develops in this, we will certainly keep you informed of how all of this goes down. Of course, it was not a good day for the sports books for Tiger Woods winning. As you can imagine, he draws tons and tons of action. FanDuel actually put out a promotion where if you played their DFS contest, Brett, if Tiger were to win, whether you rostered him on your lineups or not, that they would refund all entry fees. Well, of course, Tiger did win. So that was a big $2 million hit for them right right then and there because not only was it a million dollar guaranteed tournament so they had to refund all the million uh, in, in entry fees but then they still had to pay out the tournament as well so you can't not pay out the tournament so that was actually a two million dollar hit for FanDuel woof yeah look once in a while the chalk is going to hit I mean it, it is sports betting uh, the customer does win sometimes and this time it was the super mega chalk and some of these books got crushed especially in New Jersey wherever they were running all these special Tiger Woods promos and FanDuel with that DFS promo which Wow, that that is costly. <laughs> yeah, that was quite costly for sure. Uh, we talked about the Bet Stars promo where they were giving out a hundred to one uh, on ten dollars. You could bet ten dollars. They said just on that promo alone, they lost three hundred and sixty thousand dollars on Tiger Woods. So a lot of people, and you know what, Brad? I'd like to think that a lot of people listen to this podcast, and we told them. Just go make the bet because yes. it's plus EV. Like it doesn't matter whether you think Tiger's going to win or not. Just go make the bet. It's plus EV. They're giving you a hundred to one on ten dollars. Go take it. Where you're only get where you're getting Tiger at fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, at all these other places. And you know what? I'm I, again. We are not here to to beat the drum for the sports books or anything. I like it when the sports books take a bath, man. I'm okay with that. Of course, they always win. Let us have one. Yeah, Tiger. Tiger is the one for us. Tiger here. is the and it was it, man, it, it it's so great because people people are gonna remember people who bet on Tiger are gonna remember this forever. They're gonna remember this day forever is the time they were right about Tiger Woods and the books and the sharps were wrong. And in the long run, sports books will probably recoup a lot of these losses on future Tiger Woods tournaments, but this past weekend Happy for the betters. It, it was it was really a great day for sports betting. At DraftKings, twenty seven percent of the company's entire win wagers prior to the <laughs> tournament were on Tiger Woods, and then sixty percent after the uh, tournament got started on the outrights were on Woods as well. So uh, you can imagine DraftKings had a rough weekend as well. At FanDuel, Brett, we have we are looking at Tiger as the favorite to win each of the next majors here and that is probably no surprise there is a sports book here in las vegas the over at the win is booking tiger as low as five to one in the pga championship we are talking about the best golfers in the world assembled into a golf tournament and you are getting five to one on tiger woods now that is a little ridiculous you can get him at eight uh plus 850 at FanDuel, but as you can see, Tiger Mania, it's all, it's coming back as if we were kids here, Brett. Yeah, and you would you have to think that sharps are drooling, right? Like this is the the perfect spot to bounce back and get some money on other betters outside of Tiger Woods because there's just no value on Tiger right now. But the money, you know, the money is still pouring in on him. Yeah, no, absolutely. As good as March Madness was for me from a betting perspective, the Masters was equally terrible for me. I had a full Francesco Molinari and Tiger fade going oh, on boy. and so as you can imagine that was quite costly for me none of the guys I had 
for outrights, even though all of them were in contention. I mean, I had so many sharks circling and just nobody could get it done for me. So it was a it was a it was a rough, rough Sunday, despite the fact that I loved what was going on on the television screen. Now, you know, we've talked on this podcast several times about how we feel that golf probably has the biggest upside when it comes to the legalized sports betting across the United States. I mean, the pacing of golf is absolutely perfect for in game. And if we can ever get to a point, Brett, where the 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 data and information can equal the 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 time you know where where between a guy taking teeing off on a tee and then being able to get to his next his next shot if we can kind of speed things up just a little bit to where we're able to get okay he's now 220 away what you know will he land within 10 feet will he land within 20 feet is he going to end in a bunker is he going to you know be on the green is he going to miss the green so five different ways you can bet the the very next shot that say tiger or phil or whatever it might be is going to take and i you know we're going to get there at some point i just hope it's sooner than later and if that's the case i think the betting renaissance could actually really and truly increase golf's profile exponentially well, what the PGA Tour needs to do is take a look at the Masters app. I'm not saying duplicate it, just copy it. I mean, like the end goal of having cameras on every golfer on the course, that that's where we need to be, I think. You know, give viewers the option of who they want to watch. Give us alerts when golfers are about to step up into their shot. That way you're keeping sports bettors and DFS players engaged all tournament long. And the PGA Tour, I think they're releasing a new app here in the next couple of weeks, and it, it's, it's such a slow development. They're just so far behind, I think, where they need to be. Um, but with the, the expansion of legal sports betting and the popularity of in-play – there's there's so much potential, like you said, and I mean, golf is it is the perfect platform for I mean, a game. Think about this: they're standing on they're standing on 16, and we're able to sit there and say, you know, inside five feet, inside ten feet, in the water, twenty five feet, in a, uh, you know, further away from the whatever. Like you have ten different options that you can choose to bet on, you know, before these guys tee up uh, there on 16 for that pressure shot. I mean, it, it would just be so amazing, man. I think, I think that this is something, and I'm not going to say that it can necessarily quote unquote save golf. I know that the younger generation is not playing as much golf. They don't have the time or they don't at least want to invest the time. And I, and I, I understand all that, but I actually truly do believe that to an extent golf can be quote unquote saved by a sports betting revolution here, if they are able to get it to where people can bet on golf in a truly unique way that you cannot in other sports that are popular in America, because you can't do that in the NFL and the NBA and even Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball certainly is a little bit more deliberate of a sport than basketball and football. But even then, it's still, you know, between each pitch is is, is much, much faster than it is between each shot in golf. And I just think that golf, the options that you could have from a betting aspect, is almost limitless. Yeah, and with Tiger back in the mix here, you're only – now is the time to take advantage of it because they're really – right now there is no more – there hasn't been this much interest in golf in a long time. So it's it's unfortunate that we're not at that point. Um, and ho- hopefully, t- hopefully Tiger is around for a couple more years. For a much bigger breakdown of all of this, of course, listen to our LSR podcast. They will break this down from top to bottom and give you 
all of their insights, but it is worth mentioning here. The New Jersey sports betting handle did come out, Brett. And whenever you look at how the it, this has just increased, it's it really is just staggering. I mean, you know, if we, if we go back to June of 2018, there was 16.4 million in betting handle. Fast forward to March of 2019, and we're looking at 300 and $72.4 million worth of betting handle over there in New Jersey. We have already hit the $1 billion mark for 2019. So, of course, that's only three months, January, February, and March of 2019. And we already have over $1 billion in handle over there in New Jersey. Yeah, that's wild. And a uh, record revenue month for New Jersey last month as well, thanks to the men's basketball tournament. $31.7 million in revenue. They bounced back after February's down month, thanks to the Patriots winning the Super Bowl. So, uh, yeah, monster numbers, New Jersey. It, it's so exciting to think about what's going to happen here. we got Pennsylvania coming here in the next month or so, we hope. So, yeah. man, it, 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 it's going to be huge. And just, again, to, to continue to say this over and over and over again, we are looking at over a billion dollar in handle in 2019 over there in New Jersey. 80% of that, Brett, came either on the computer or on mobile. So it was some form of mobile wagering, be it via your laptop or be it via your smartphone. So Guys, if you're listening out there and you have anything to do with any of this, you have to have you have to have mobile man. There's so there's too many of these on property only. And it's just you are capping the potential here. All of the numbers, all of everything that you are projecting is going to fall short if you don't have mobile. What more do you need to see than this? You know, if if you're if you're drawing up legislation and you don't have mobile, what's the point of even having sports betting? It it really is. And whenever we look at this, it's 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 just staggering. I mean, eighty eight hundred million of the billion is coming from the mobile side of things. The big winners. Uh, Golden Nugget, 14.2 million in revenue for the month. Of course, a lot of theirs comes from casino, but they did add uh, wagering here. Uh, sports betting just recently and certainly has helped them out. And then FanDuel making up Crushing. a ton of ground from the initial uh, launch over there when DraftKings really just came out of the gate firing. And Brett, what we have seen is FanDuel has just not only closed the gap, but surpassed DraftKings in a very short amount of time. Yeah, they were doing really well at Meadowlands all along. The retail, $4.3 million this past month. But they passed DraftKings uh, online, $13.3 million this past month uh, for FanDuel and revenue, seven point three at DraftKings. So FanDuel really has become the monster in New Jersey, which I, I find a little surprising. But, I mean, can, explain to me why this is happening. I, I I can't really figure it out. Yeah, I can't either. I mean, of course, I don't live over there, so maybe there is some. Maybe they have a different sort of adver- advertising campaign going on that's been working. Maybe they're doing some different sort of things with marketing. Maybe some cross selling going on on the DFS product over there as well. I, I'm not 100 percent sure. One one thing we do know, their app is is phenomenal. It is, it is a, great. A really really good app. It looks really slick as well. So I think a lot of people, you know, visually, 
even if you download the app and you open it up, it's just visually appealing as well. And so I'm sure there are some people who never even make it to the DraftKings app because once they open up FanDuel and they're like, I like this one, there's really no reason for me to have a second app. And so uh, very, very, very interesting stuff here. And of course, maybe we'll even ask Chris Grove about that. And it is that time for us to check in with him again, the managing director over there at Eilish and Crycheck Gaming. Going to talk a little bit about everything in the sports betting industry here with Chris Grove. Now joining us on the podcast is a man that if I were to list all of his credentials, we would be sitting here until the taping of the next podcast. He is at least, at the very least, the managing director of sports and emerging verticals at Iowa and Krychek Gaming, Chris Grove. Mr. Grove, thank you so much for taking some time here. We are very honored to have you on the pod. It's uh, my pleasure, gentlemen. I think maybe you could start a new podcast where you just list people's credentials and that's it. Well, we do listen. We do have some very important people on the podcast, but none probably, none probably as important as you. I call you the godfather of basically all of this whole legislative and what's going on gaming, gambling, DFS legislation stuff, reporting. Uh, Nobody was doing it before you. What? What? Before we get into all that, what? What made you get into this? I think it was that absence. There were a lot of things happening on the legislative front, on the policy front, on the market front. And honestly, I wanted to understand better. So I got into it because of that lack of information. I worked in the online gambling industry for almost 20 years. And when the U.S. was really starting to look like it was going to regulate again, I was looking for sources of information about what does this bill mean? What are the implications? What is the market going to look like? How big is it going to be? And those sources really didn't exist. So we decided to make our own. Well, we are going to talk a lot about a lot of stuff here, but certainly we're going to talk about this report that you guys put out. But before we do that, can you just tell everybody about Eilers if they are not if they are not aware of what you guys do over there? Just a research and consulting firm focused mostly on the regulated gambling industry, very U.S. centric. I handle sports betting, online gambling, and then we have partners who handle land-based work, slot supply, and then also areas like social casino and uh, other forms of casual gaming. So pretty much run the gamut on, on anything having to do with, with gambling or gaming, especially in the U.S. market. So I'm reading this uh, report here that you guys put out about sports betting personas, uh, which is fascinating because it's it, there are so many different uh, personas that uh, sports books are trying to win over. When did you guys start really looking into these personas and defining what the typical sports better is? So we've done a, a lot of survey work around sports betting over the last couple of years. And we noticed as we were doing the survey work that while it was useful to put out these broad aggregate descriptions of how U.S. consumers might respond to regulated sports betting, how they might engage with legal sports betting, that that was really telling a very small slice of the story. So the more polling work we did, and honestly, the more polling work we saw other people do, the more we realized that this was probably the, the next natural step in describing the U.S. consumer. And certainly we are not the first people to to have this idea. Persona work has a long history in a variety of industries and has a long history in the gambling industry as well. What we've done is, is a starting point. And I think as we say at the end of the report, 
when the regulated market really kicks in in the U.S., you get this influx of, of new consumers, there are going to be dozens of additional ways that you can slice and dice the U.S. sports betting consumer population. So it came down to seven casual dabblers, status seekers, super fans, action chasers, would be pros, high rollers and sharps. As you really dug into this, which which one of the personas was kind of the hardest to nail down? I think the hardest to nail down is the would be pro because it's almost a way station for people who are moving through various personas or various steps on their sports betting journey. So you might imagine someone who starts off as a casual player, they get interested, and then they start trending toward that persona of a would-be pro. Now, at that point, some people, that experience goes really positively for them, and and maybe they take more of an initiative. Maybe they invest more in sports betting, and they head closer to being a shark. Some people, the would-be pro experience maybe goes negatively for them. And so then they drift back down to being a super fan or drift back down to being a more casual player. And of course there's probably, and we saw this with poker as well. There's some people who can sit in that persona for, for years where you're not quite good enough and you don't quite have the time and resources to do this on a professional level, but it's interesting enough to you and it's engaging enough to you and your results are, are just good enough or just promising enough to keep you in that middle state uh, between being a casual player and, and being a professional. Yeah. So one of the things that I I noticed as well in this is, you know, not shocking that most of the personas produce more losers than winners. But I was curious, do you feel like while they're losers, you know, at the window, per se, are do you feel a lot of them aren't sweating it too much? Did you do you feel that a lot of the people that are in this wacky sports betting realm really are truly doing it for fun? I think. Most people are doing it for fun, for entertainment, for engagement, for the possibility that they might get better at it. And remember, your results are clustered, right? It's not as if you just have a straight linear distribution across all of your activity. You have good months, you have bad months, you have good years, you have bad years. And I think people do have the ability to maybe overgeneralize their positive experiences and underplay their, their negative experiences. And again, to go back to poker, you see people do this all the time. The amount of your friends who claim to be winning poker players just just does not stand up to statistical scrutiny, right? So I think that happens with sports betting as well. I think you have a pretty significant class within the sports betting consumer base that are small losers who think that they're break-even or even small winners. So there's been a lot of talk since the launch of the new legal markets in the U.S. about banning and limiting sharp bettors and looking at the characteristics of sports bettors in this report you can certainly see why sports books would be more focused on winning over the action chasers and the super fans who are the far larger demographic that cares more about the amusement aspect of sports gambling rather than the, the sharp who cares about winning but at the same time books need sharp action for multiple reasons and you mentioned that in this report whether it's helping to set lines or, or offsetting risk what are your thoughts on some of the the banning that we've heard about that's going on in New Jersey and that's been going on in Europe uh, for years? Obviously, books have to make that decision. I, I don't think it's an easy decision, and I, I don't think they should treat it as an easy decision. Some brands probably have made the determination that all we want to be is a mass market brand. That's where we're going to make our money. And so as a result, we don't really feel like we need sharp action. 
I think that especially any brand in the U.S. market, which is far less defined than the European market, and will probably evolve in unique ways and, and not exactly resemble it, maybe not even closely resemble. I think if you get a negative uh, PR impression, if you get a, a negative with your brand in terms of banning sharks, I think that you're also then maybe shutting the door to some high roller action. And I think you're definitely shutting the door to a significant amount of, of would-be pro action. So I think books in the U.S. do have to take that analysis very seriously, and they have to consider what other things you're losing when you decide that you want to cut off sharp action or if you want to limit sharp action. Of course, on the other side of that, obviously books have to balance risk. That's what they do. I just would warn books against thinking that taking sharp action is all downside, no upside, because I think the image it creates for your brand and the halo it can create that can attract other classes of, of players that may be very profitable for you, I, I think that's a valuable halo, and you shouldn't dismiss it out of hand. We uh, mentioned Nevada Nevada, and New Jersey here, and uh, you were one of the ones, obviously, that came out of the gate project- projecting that New Jersey was going to do well and certainly uh, was going to threaten what was going on in Nevada from a handle perspective and, and, and all of that. Are you, are you even surprised at how fast the numbers have just gotten crazy? I mean, we mentioned it just a little bit earlier on this podcast that we've already reached a billion dollars in handle just in 2019 over in New Jersey here. Of course, only three months of reporting for that. It, has it has it even gone faster than you expected? The ramp has been a little more aggressive than I would have thought for year one. I think having the existing databases of FanDuel and DraftKings in play and those guys really hitting the ground running made a big difference there. Obviously, the counterweight to that is on the retail side. Most sports books in New Jersey are, are in their first version, their first iteration. And the, on the online side, the, the product is still really immature. So I think there's a, a lot of room for growth still. It looks like the state is on the right track to get to where we think it'll be, which is roughly half a billion, maybe $550 million market annually by revenue. And before launch, we might have thought, okay, it's going to take four to five years to get there based on how online casino had performed in the state. After this first you know, half a year, it's looking like that ramp might be something closer to three years, maybe three plus. We talked about FanDuel and DraftKings dominance uh, in, in New Jersey last month earlier in the show. Will we continue to see these two companies dominate across the country? There's an interesting dynamic there, right? Because as they continue to do well in New Jersey, arguably they complicate their ability to gain market access to other states. And you are seeing, I think, a push-pull in a number of other states on two critical questions, not only for FanDuel and DraftKings, but for any non-endemic brand, for any brand that's not in the market of a given state. And those questions are, one, who's going to be able to access this market? And then, two, are we going to have retail only? Are we going to have retail plus online? And if we do have online, how are we going to handle it? We've seen proposals in states like Iowa and Illinois that would introduce online but require you to register in person or would require you to make your first deposit in person or cash out in person, something that forces customer flow through the retail channel. Obviously, as the paths to market access get tighter and as the online product is either eliminated entirely or restricted in some way, those are going to be factors that make it harder for DraftKings and FanDuel to repeat their performance in New Jersey. Those will also be factors, in my opinion, that limit the potential of states 
that decide that they want to take that kind of policy approach to sports betting. I think New Jersey's model has been proven effective, and I think that other states would be wise to not copy New Jersey's model wholesale, but to think about it as a starting point and then work out from there, customizing it however they need to to fit the, the specific ambitions of their state. Circling back to Nevada, you and I both live here. I have seen you. I have witnessed in person you speaking to lawmakers, giving your thoughts and ideas on certain things that are going on. This was back in the DFS days when you kind of gave them the thought that maybe they should create a DFS license as opposed to just a, tr- a traditional gaming license where, the, you know, it's just a lot of the companies feel that it's just too burdensome from a cost perspective to do all of that. Now, Nevada sitting here looking over at what's happening in New Jersey, seeing Pennsylvania about to start up, the rest of these bills being introduced in all these other states. Do you think the state is minimally threatened at all by what's going on the rest of the around the rest of the country? I mean, I've made no bones about it. Uh, the apps over in New Jersey are vastly superior to the sports betting apps here. They are absolute garbage here in, in Nevada. Of course, they're hesitant to adopt being able to sign up mobily. You have to go do the stuff you know, physically in person and, and deposit in person as opposed to depositing uh, you know, over online with your credit card and things like that. Do, do you think they're burying their head in the sand here in Nevada or is it just so, so, so slow moving here? I think that there is a risk that the comparative quality of the Las Vegas sports betting experience slips as consumers get more and more used to a New Jersey experience on the online side. On the retail side, obviously, I think Las Vegas's experience is going to continue to be top, top for, for years to come. But at some point, the online experience and the retail experience are not two separate things. You saw, as, as I did, Matt, the, the long line stretching you know, from the, the parking garage almost to the window during March Madness, and that's insanity, right? All of those people should be signed up while they're lying for an app and be able to make a deposit right there and be able to bet immediately. The idea of lines to the window is, I think, counterproductive. does not add anything positive to the experience and certainly creates a negative experience, especially for people, and this will become an increasingly large number of people who in their home state have a very easy online experience and then come here and start asking themselves the question, why is it so much harder here? If you didn't have anything to compare it to, you might grumble a little bit, but this is the only way you can do it, so that's the way it is. When you have something superior to compare it to, that's when I think the problem really starts. So I think Las Vegas and and Nevada in general, when they think about this question, have to start putting themselves in the frame of mind of the consumer and asking themselves, am I having a measurably better experience betting on sports across the board in Las Vegas than I can have in other places in the U.S.? As that question starts to creep a little closer to no than, than to yes, where it currently is, I think policymakers do end up having some work to do to improve that experience here in Nevada. He is Chris Grove. You can find him on the Twitter machine at OP Report. He is the godfather of all of this. I cannot overstate just what he has done from uh, that aspect for this industry, guys. Seriously, great follow on Twitter. And of course, tons of different places you can find him speaking if you are interested in Uh, all of his opinions on everything. Chris, really, really appreciate you being here with us on the pod, man. I enjoyed it. I will talk to you again. Uh, Chris Grove, I mean, Brett, what can you say about that guy? I mean, when it comes to 
understanding the intricacies of what goes on in the legislation and what's going on in the mind of these lawmakers and stuff. There really is nobody better. And I was not kidding. I was at a a hearing here in Nevada and the, the gaming commission was asking Chris Grove questions <laughs> as to like, you know, what do we do with this whole d- daily fantasy thing and and all that. And, you know, his recommendation was for them to just create a separate, you know, daily fantasy or fantasy sports for money, whatever you wanted to call it, license or something like that, because right now under gaming law in Nevada, which is why there isn't legal DFS here is because you have to have an actual gaming license. Well, it's very, very expensive to get a gaming license. And so these DFS companies are like, well, you know, it's not, it's not financially viable. We would never make our money back, you know? And so he was saying, well, why don't you create a new license? Blah, blah. blah. I mean, it was, it was funny though. Cause you have this panel of guys sitting up there who I'm sure all think they're the smartest guy in the room and they are asking Chris Grove questions over and over again. But guys, guy is just a a treasure treasure trove of knowledge for sure he is and he was out ahead of this way before anybody else was and that's when really there was nothing going on in sports betting we're talking about years and years ago he was covering these these stories that i mean trying to to just fill space by covering stories and now i mean look where we are now i mean everything is happening it's just it's cool to look back and see where he started and how far he's come and um yeah he is he's an absolute must follow on twitter The NBA and NHL playoffs are kicked off here. If you have been watching, if you are a hockey fan, Brett, if you are a hockey fan, craziness has already happened here. I mean, I only know this because I know you and I follow people on the Twitter machine. I am just a one hockey team guy sitting over here. I'm only a Golden Knights fan. But from what I understand, this wackiness in the first round of the hockey playoffs is nothing new. Apparently, this has happened every year for the last four or five years. Yeah, I mean, look, there, there, there's so much volatility in hockey. So you you see top seeds get knocked off in the NHL playoffs first round all the time. This year has been a little different, though, because we had one team, Tampa Bay, that was such a huge favorite going in. I think they were plus 195 to win the cup, which is just unheard of in hockey. But they won 62 games during the regular season, which has only been done once before. So this was the... This was the team going in, and they got swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets, <laughs> the eighth seed. Uh, they were, I mean, Tampa Bay was minus 400 for the series going in. Again, I mean, you just don't see these numbers in hockey because of <laughs> the crazy things that happen year after year. But nobody, literally nobody saw this coming, a sweep from the eighth seed. 45 to 1 at FanDuel 40 to one at DraftKings if you would have bet for a Blue Jacket sweep. Uh, but no one did. <laughs> so Nobody, not a single person <laughs> made that bet. Not a single person made that bet. So, yeah, if you thought it was going to happen, yeah, you should have laid it down, but nobody did. Craziness, of course. Uh, speaking of craziness over on the NBA side of things, of course, everyone knows the dominance of the Golden State Warriors. They were going into game two against the Clippers they were 13 and a half point favorites everybody foregone conclusion essentially here Brett that the Warriors were just going to cruise to another championship and then maybe things would change next year when the team broke up they get up by 31 points on the Clippers everyone tunes out everyone decides to watch whatever they have on DVR nobody's watching anymore all the while over at BetStars the live odds get to 
a thousand to one for the Clippers to come back and win that game. And guess what? They did, in fact, come back and win that game. Yes, the Clippers rallied from 31 points down. You could have got them at a thousand to one at Bet Stars. The guys over at Number Fire had the Golden State winning at a 99.65% clip when faced with that scenario by being up 31 at that point in the game, Brett, I mean, we might live our, we might live our, the rest of our lives and not, especially in the playoffs with a team like the Warriors that are as dominant as they are and never see a comeback like this again. That was insane. I was trying to fall asleep, man. I had given up on that game. I was dozing and all of a sudden I, I, I start seeing some tweets about a comeback. It's down to 18. It's down to 14. I'm like, I need to check this out because if this does happen, this is unprecedented. Like this, this, especially against the Warriors. I mean, this is one of the all-time great teams, and they blow a 31-point lead to an eight seed. The odds at BetStars were a thousand to one. They probably could have been three thousand or five thousand to one. Uh, again, <laughs> nobody bet the thousand to one. Uh, it wasn't there for very long, but. Wow. Yeah, at FanDuel, it did get to uh, 100 to 1. They actually took 14 bets on the Clippers. Uh, You could get up to 50 down on that. They took a $50 bet, $5,000 in that better's pocket. You, sir, are smart. You should pat yourself on the back for uh, taking a team that was down 31. Good for you. Now, speaking of taking some things down here, Brett, I mean... This guy on Jeopardy, you've been watching, right? You've been you've been watching this. I I have now started to set my DVR so that I can watch this run here. But we are we are witnessing greatness, right? So I I like Jeopardy, but I haven't watched the show in a long time because of the way people play the game. You got all these smart people who just don't play the game optimally. They're just sitting there answering questions and trying to score points. This guy, this sports better from Nevada, James Holtower, has completely changed the way he's broken Jeopardy because of the way he just dominates this game. Uh, he's now won 10 straight. He broke the all time. I think he's broken the all time record three times now. He's the only player to ever score more than one hundred thousand uh, dollars. And he's done it three times. And he just broke the record on Wednesday with one hundred thirty one thousand dollars uh i feel awful for these people who come on the show this is their dream to get on jeopardy and this this guy this 34 year old sports better has been obliterating them and yeah he plays the game like really only a few people we've ever seen before i saw fascinating i saw on wednesday he buzzed in on 40 of the questions and got all 40 of them correct so like you have to imagine just how frustrating that would be to be going up against him that not only is he getting in he's buzzing in better than you and he's getting in before you but he never misses either yeah, and that allows him to control the board and leverage daily doubles, and it's it's fascinating to watch. And you know, you combine that with his high risk tolerance. He's a gambler, uh, so he doesn't care about losing forty thousand or twenty thousand dollars on a daily double because he knows it's the optimally it's it's the right thing to do to put all this money in play and. Yeah, because uh, in theory, you could put yourself I mean, that's the, the one thing you're talking about when you say, you know, these people are maybe not strategizing this correctly is 
if you're actually just trying to maximize your chance of winning, you can put yourself out of reach just in the in the normal game of play where Final Jeopardy doesn't even come into play because if you utilize the daily doubles properly, you'll have so much more than everybody else that they can't catch you anyway. Yeah, and it makes him very difficult to beat. And I think it's it's going to take his own mistakes, maybe a couple missed daily doubles, maybe a wrong answer in Final Jeopardy to knock him off because he, he, is, he is so dominant in the questions and on top of that, he knows how to play the game that nobody else has really played forever. So he just he has not been challenged at all over the first 10 games. I don't I don't see it happening. And finally here, action on Showtime wrapped up. It was a four part series. The final episode did have a little bit more of the. Uh, Vegas Dave losing experience involved here, Brett. I mean, we've talked about him on this podcast ad nauseum. So we might as well start off with producer uh, with with Vegas Dave. I saw a conversation between Matt Peralt, who obviously does content for us over on the YouTube channel, as well as some written content during uh, football and basketball season for us as well on play picks. Um, and he had one of the producers on his radio show and the, you know, the guy felt like they exposed Vegas Dave and, and all that. And, and look, I do understand they did do that. They did show him make bets and they did show him lose bets and they did whatever, but they still glamorized how much money he makes and they still glamorized him talking about like, yeah, the more haters, the more money I make and, and things like that. And, you know, while maybe people, won't look at this as like, oh, he's the guy I need to go buy picks from. But it's almost makes me worry that this is a situation where you're you could almost make more scammers like you could almost make more of these guys who f- think like, well, wow, I don't even have to be a winning sports better and I can just get all these people to pay me money for these losing sports betting picks. I don't know. It just it just seemed like the glamorization of his lifestyle and how much money he makes. And it doesn't really matter whether he's got morals or if he's a winner or loser. That's the thing that just rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, it's 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 unfortunate. I didn't have high hopes going in that this would give the casual sports fan and the the Showtime subscriber a truthful look at the industry. And it it really it really didn't. But it's also a TV show. I mean, they have time constraints. They have to make it interesting enough for people to watch it. And that's why they had Vegas Dave. He's entertaining. And while, you know, while he does operate as a as a predator on degenerates, it it was the the most I guess amusing part of the show uh, just to see him at his high points and low points. And uh, hopefully now the regular viewer understands what a tout is and why this guy is so bad for sports betting. But looking at his, uh, looking at his tweets, it seems like people still look up to this guy as a hero is, is what they want to be. And the, you know, the glamorizing of his life, the, the fancy cars and then, you know, the place in Mexico that, that doesn't help with that. I mean, that's, that's still there. And they did, they did showcase that. I'm not, you know, listen, I, there are people out there who I, I like that do it and I'm not going to, you know, sit here and, and, call out any specific names or anything like that. But, you know, we're moving into a time here, Brad, especially with the way that legalization is sweeping across the nation and whatnot, that, you know, the days of having to pay for picks, guys, is coming to a halt. And if you're doing that, I mean, just kind of think about what you're doing. And 
look a little bit more broadly than you are. I mean, there is a ton of really good free information out there. I mean, we've mentioned VEASAN before on here. It's a, it's, you know, 12 hours a day. They're on there talking about various sports betting strategies and picks and things like that. You really only at that point have to have a subscription to Sirius XM. So, I mean, you know, whatever, just get it anyway. You probably want it in your car as it is. I mean, of course we have information at play picks. There is good information, uh, you know, all over the place here. And, uh, you know, I think if you actually start paying for information as opposed to paying for picks, if you do want to pay for something and feel like you're getting something from a premium service, I think paying for information as opposed to paying for picks is also something that I would highly recommend along the way as well. Now, I do understand there's there are people out there who don't have the time to put in as far as research and things go. But I think you'll find and Brett, I, that maybe this is just ingrained in you and I because we've one, we came from poker and then DFS and then sports betting and stuff. But it's just a much more rewarding experience when you do your own research and then you win. That's exactly right, and that's what I was going to say. There are, there are a lot of great data resources out there to help you come to your own conclusions, and the feeling of winning when you come to those conclusions is so much more gratifying than just paying for a pick. I mean, I, I don't even I don't know what Vegas Dave sends to his subscribers. I don't know if there's a lot of uh, information and support behind each pick or if he's just sending over a winner. Uh, but if he's I mean, look, if he's just sending over a name of a team, you're not getting you're not getting any value out of that because you don't know what he's doing to support this pick. Yeah, it's one of the things that we've done. I believe at play picks very well. And I think that some of the other people in the industry have done very well as well. And, you know, um, hats off to those people and kudos to those people as well. It's just teaching people along the way what to kind of look for. And sure, sure. We're going to give our opinions on things. And you know, if you want to tail the, the thoughts that we have by all means, but we're never jumping up and down saying like, this is the pick. This is the play hundred percent guaranteed lock. This is whatever, oh. blah, blah, blah. It is, we're, you're never going to hear us say whale play or lock of the city. You're never going to hear us say any of that stuff, you know, and, and that's never going to be the case because when it comes down to it, what we're trying to do is say like, look, this is the conclusion that we came to and this is how we got to that conclusion. But there is another side to that coin. And, you know, we did that on the Super Bowl as well. I mean, you and I were on separate sides, but we all we, we voiced our opinions as to why we were on each side, why we got to the conclusion that we got to. And so I think viewers or, or readers of, the, of that content could have either followed you or followed me, depending on, you know, how we got to the conclusion that we got to. And I think that that's really the most rewarding thing here is to, is to, is to look over these things and look at it critically and and then come to the at the end of the day, whether you win or lose, it was kind of of your own volition. And it wasn't one of those things where you just, you know, you paid five hundred dollars for a friggin whale play, yeah. you know, that may or may not hit at home here. And, you know, I think that. I think the days of the of the traditional tout are probably pretty numbered because as this continues to expand more and more states, more and more people involved, more and more things like that. I think the quality of information is going to go up and the quality of free information is going to go up. 100 percent agree. And I I hope you're right. And and I hope we start to see the Vegas days of the world uh, fade away. Five hundred dollars for a whale play, man. You you telling me you've never thrown down five hundred for a whale play. (laughs) 
I've never thrown $500 on a bet. Why, <laughs> why am I putting $500 on a well play? <laughs> oh, man. But all in all, I mean, look, it's 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 tough to make compelling television out of sports betting because at the end of the day, it's not it's not a real compelling thing, Brad. I mean, it's it's if, if you're doing it right and if you're doing it, you know, successfully, uh, a lot of people are just looking at spreadsheets, you know, I mean, like you're you're looking at spreadsheets, you're making notes, you're writing down different things. You're looking at trends from from a certain aspects and you're looking at the, But it's not a it's not incredibly glamorous, you know, um, so it's I, I think that they did probably the best they could with what they had to work with. Yeah, I yeah. I agree. I mean, I, I didn't have a lot of hopes coming in just watching the trailer. Right. Um, it, 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 it was about what I expected. I, yeah, I'll put it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I did. I really did enjoy episode three when they kind of got it into uh, into the sharps a little bit more. They had the Crowley kid, uh, the DFS player who uh, I mean, it was definitely interesting to, to look into his process and what he goes through every week and putting six figures into play, which is just insane. But yeah, it. it there were there were high points for me, but, you know, it, it was about as I expected. I think if I were to do anything differently in in it all, I think I would just, you know, I would, might even try and look at cheap plug here, but look at Chris Groves persona thing here. Maybe like try to try to fill each gap. Right. Like, you know, like get the different personas because, you know, getting just the the screaming tout and the and the the just the tout world in general I, I don't know that's only a that's only a small part of of what yeah. goes on in the industry and and things like that well guys as usual if you want all of the very best deals in this crazy sports betting and dfs industry that we have here you can go to play picks forward slash bonus that has every single one of the offers that we have going and every one of them that is current so brett keeps that updated on that page so if you are looking to play over there in new jersey within the confines or if you're looking to sign up at a dfs site all on one handy dandy little page right there so again that's play picks forward slash bonus and of course you can head to the lines you can find not only this podcast but all of the awesome industry news that is going on over there as well brett we're heading into kentucky derby season we're heading into deeper into the playoff season here so i imagine we will just keep things rolling I mean, yeah, it's been, this past week was absolutely insane with the, the playoffs uh, for NHL and NBA plus the Masters. But, um, yeah, we're looking ahead to Kentucky Derby and uh, obviously whatever happens uh, going forward here in, in, the, in the playoff season. Special thanks to Chris Grove for joining us, guys. Again, please subscribe, rate, and review on the podcast here. You can follow us on the Twitter machine at the Lines US at PlayPicksUS on YouTube forward slash PlayPicks. And Brett is at Brett Colson. I am at Matt Brown M2. For Brett, I am Matt. See you guys next week.